Welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 327 of Cryptobiography, and it is part five of Tomorrow, and here we go. The winter set in completely, and though it was cold, it rarely got to freezing or had much snow. But when it was cold, it was brutal, strong, and shocking. There was a little solar and wind power that had survived the decades, but it was extremely old and creaky, and it was used for purposes that helped the entire community, generally. Maintenance was becoming impossible. There was a little warmth to be gotten from fats, but mostly that was used to make candles. Instead, the houses were warmed with wood. Some houses had original old wood stoves, but those were rare. Some had old wood stoves moved from outlying houses to the core of currently occupied houses and most had stoves made since the inundation by their metal workers, usually working from whatever metal they could find, which was quite a lot. The society from before the inundation had not wanted for materials. Most houses had good cooking implements, as they were sturdy and commonly found in the old houses, or had been when they were first being scavenged. So although the houses were being heated simply with wood, they had the tools to make delicious meals, even if their ingredients were sometimes simple. Of course, Betty's family, being the ones who raised peppers, had access to spicy food year-round. But her mother and father were both excellent cooks, and were able to make meals that were more than merely palatable, even in the deepest of winter months. Betty and Albert were also learning to cook, and winter had extra hours for them to learn. Betty was learning to season some of the salted and boned fish, pound it flat, and rehydrate it just enough add a little layer of breadcrumbs, and pan-fry it. It was turning out better and better. It was too cold to go out and see the stone house, or to practice more on the catamaran. But they saw Joan and Ron more often and played, including with the Lego Winter Village bakery they'd made. The boys took it apart to make their own creations, but when they hadn't returned to it in over a week, Betty took the pieces back and, using the instruction booklet, built it again. Their town, a nugget of a larger city from before the inundation, and called Exvik, was sometimes referred to as a village, so she felt an affection for this bakery. But she didn't understand everything about it. There were a number of people included with the set. One was hauling a tree, one was feeding an apple to the horse, one had a gift, one was the baker. The baker was wearing a big puffy hat. There's also a man with a small stall who was exchanging trees for rectangles, and there was a man holding up a rectangular box of sorts in front of a woman who was dancing. She took this to one of the elders who knew about things from before the inundation. Her name was Ruth. Ruth was amused and delighted when she saw the set. I had Legos when I was a child, she said. Let's take a look. She grinned and looked at the cover especially closely through her glasses. The man exchanging the trees is doing so for money. Not much we have, uh, not much use we have now for it. Money had come up in some books Betty had read, but she never actually used any. 
Sometimes Joan and Ron brought back interesting coins or bills, but they weren't ever exchanged for anything. Why is all the Lego money green rectangles like that? They were green in the United States, but in Canada we had differently colored bills, all colors. The set was designed to appeal to Americans. Betty had heard about the United States of America and Canada, mostly through reading. She felt an affection for Canada, even though we, they weren't really Canada any longer. After pointing at the man with the food, Ruth said, You're right, that's the baker. The hat he wears is a special one called, uh, used by chefs and bakers. It's called... She trailed off, trying to remember the word so long neglected in her memory. A toque. But not like our toques. I understand it was supposed to be a sort of cloth crown from back in the truly olden days when kings and queens had people who did nothing but run a kitchen for the royal family and their guests. She smiled at the man and the woman. Ah, the man has a camera, she explained. We can't use him, so you don't see him anymore. It was a device that used light and either a bit of electricity or some chemicals to almost instantly make a picture, a perfect image of whatever the camera saw. The man is taking the woman's picture. She's supposed to be posing for the picture rather than dancing in general, I think. Betty had a thought. Why is the first man selling trees? For wood? The trees were some sort of fir and had too many branches to make easy firewood. No, those would be Christmas trees, Ruth said. Christmas was an old, semi-religious holiday. People would exchange gifts, dress up trees with decorations in their living rooms, and the more religious ones would go to their churches. So they had enough time and materials on their hands to just bring a dying tree into their house and decorate it, Betty thought. Strange times. So it was their midwinter celebration? Pretty much. Some folks still like to do it up as Christmas. Not many. There weren't a lot of religious people around. Betty had heard the stories from the adults a number of times. When the inundation came, a few really religious people tried to make it on their own. But they kept to the old ways, and they competed more against each other than helped each other. And they eventually died out, except a few who came back to the town. But if they were still religious, they kept it to themselves. There were whispers among the kids that a few crazy religious families lived out in the middle of the woods, keeping to themselves and going crazier by the generation. But Betty had never heard any adult confirm these stories. She supposed it was possible some people were out there living alone, but she wouldn't want a life like that. She spent some time with Ruth, and as a thank you for Ruth's knowledge, helped her with a bit of cleaning around her home. Then she returned to her own house, the bakery in her hands. The next day, Betty asked her mom to make her a new dress. Sure, get some fabric from the stores. After some back and forth on what she should be looking for and how much, her mom added, and take Albert. I'll make him a shirt as well. His pants are fine for the time being. Get something in cotton, light but strong, and just consult him on color and pattern. The weather was cool but clear, and they made their way to the stores in the heart of their town. The stores had been around a long time, and most of the goods in them were scavenged during the early years after the inundation. Still, when scavengers found new stores of undamaged cloth or clothing, they kept some for their own use and trading, but gave a good amount to the stores for more general use. There were a few adults whose life work was maintaining the stores and making sure their goods were clean and given out in the best ways. Usually this was pretty straightforward. 
Though Betty understood that if someone asked for, say, a large amount of cloth in a particular kind or color, the storeminders would ask why, and if it wasn't for the best for the town, for the town, for the requester to get all they wanted, they would work with them to find ways to make do with less or with substitutes that wouldn't make everyone else do without. Such questions were not likely to come up in Betty and Alfred's quest, however. She exchanged a few pleasantries, looked around, and found a lovely yellow cotton with several meters left on the bolt, and took it to have about two square meters cut for her, following her mother's estimates. She then took Albert through the various rows with cotton cloth. Albert was of the kind who takes their time to make a decision. There's so many good ones, he kept saying every time Betty would ask him to at least narrow down his choices. After nearly an hour, and Betty now close to actually shouting at Albert, something she nearly never did, Albert selected a kind of cotton that had a print of dogs playing on it, and they got a bit over a square meter of it. On the way home, one of the only electrical objects still working in the town started roaring, the air raid siren. Air raids were a thing from before the inundation, but the townsfolk knew all about the noise, which would be used in case of emergencies only. Outside of these tests, Betty had only heard it once, when a couple of houses near the stores had caught fire, and they wanted to, everyone to help make sure it didn't spread to the stores. It roared with a cry like an agitated animal, which matched her rather irritated mood at her brother as they made their way back. They'd put the cloth into a canvas bag, and Betty had it slung over her shoulder. It was heavy and didn't add to her mood. She tried to look ahead to when she would have her new dress, and it helped. A little. And that's the end of the story for this week. Obviously, much more to come. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Mastodon, or X slash Twitter. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have um, words of music, copyright 2023, cryptobiography LLC, all rights reserved. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical. <laughs>